0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. On the programme this week, we look at a bold bid to get more news into the ears of younger people who've been turning away from traditional news and media in recent years. And we look at a brand new talk radio network getting ready to roll and sending out some signals of what to expect. But first, we look at how the media this past week responded to fast-rising prices with persistent cries of crisis.
2: Do you remember what it was like at the beginning of 79? Crisis? What crisis? The rubbish piled high in the streets, ambulances left unmanned, the dead unburied...
1: Prime Minister James Callaghan returned from a sunny summit meeting in the Caribbean in January 1979 to freezing cold and industrial chaos at home, which the tabloids in Britain had labelled the winter of discontent.
2: I don't think that other people in the world would share the view that there is mounting chaos. Uh, don't you think that's sufficient after a, an 11, nine hour flight overnight? Thank you, very much. Thank you very much. And no breakfast? However, with the mounting chaos that he talks about in the country, I doubt if I should even find a cup of coffee, do you?
1: But Callahan was choking on his breakfast the next day when the Sun newspaper had the banner headline Crisis, What Crisis? superimposed on his suntanned face, filling the rest of the front page. Callaghan lost the general election to Margaret Thatcher's Tories heavily four months later, and even though James Callaghan never said there was a crisis or no crisis, a BBC political history 22 years later concluded that it became part of political folklore because it suited the mood of the nation at the time. No wonder those in power are reluctant to say on the record to the media that problems might amount to a crisis. Well, this week, many in the media here were sniffing a similar souring in the public mood of this country and have also tried to get our Prime Minister to say that word.
0: The Prime Minister finally dropping the C-bomb today. This represents a crisis for many families, absolutely. Conceding, it is crisis time.
1: That was News Hub political editor Jenna Lynch on News Hub at six last Monday. And News Hub was chalking that up as a win for them, having tried to pin down the Prime Minister on that for more than a week. So is it a crisis
0: I I wouldn't describe it that that way. There is an impact that people are feeling, undeniably, but I would not describe it um, in that way.
1: Now, the Prime Minister broke the seal on that last Monday first, referring to a war-driven energy crisis. But that wasn't enough for News Talk ZB's Andrew Dickens when he was speaking to CTU economist Craig Rennie. Do you think they're finally getting the picture?
2: Um, I'm not going to put
3: words in the Prime Minister's mouth.
1: And Andrew Dickens was also determined to get that word out of Jacinda Ardern's deputy, Grant Robertson. Well, it is a global energy crisis which affects the cost of living.
2: It's a cost of living crisis, is it not?
4: certainly is for a number of New Zealand families. And in the end, I don't think it really matters whether we call it a crisis or a shock or a spike. It's causing real pain for a lot of families.
1: But it seemed to matter very much to the media that the government conceded that a crisis did exist. But on News Talk ZB, Andrew Dickens told his listeners... He wasn't doing that just for the sake of it, but because he thought politicians weren't actually in touch with the reality of poverty. She must be aware of the impact
2: that a rapid rise of inflation, in the order of 5-7%, to must be having on the household budget of the poor. These are households that have nothing to spare a week, no wriggle room. And then they've got the inexorable rise in rents, and then the rapid rise in fuel. There is nothing else you could call it but a crisis, and it's been
1: sudden. And Andrew Dickens went on to say that this wasn't about sudden spikes in food and fuel prices, it went back years, and governments. And to illustrate that, he dismantled the debut column in the Herald on Sunday by former National Deputy Paula Bennett, who's now the director of a top Auckland real estate firm. New Zealanders need a focus on our future, Paula Bennett concluded, and hope that the cost of living won't make life worse, and a plan for this amazing country to prosper. And Andrew Dickens found that from Paula Bennett, more than a little bit glib. You see, Paula, when costs rise and the
2: wages are remaining low and childcare is expensive, households are forced to make a calculation as to the best way to get through. And what Paula Benefit doesn't get is not that the benefit is so high they want to stay on it, it's that the wages are so low and inflation makes work unprofitable and unsustainable. You see, all our comfortable middle-class politicians cry crocodile tears for the poor while all the time failing to understand the poverty trap that so many New Zealanders have fallen
1: into. So look, of course it's a crisis and it's been building for years. Now those were good points powerfully made by Andrew Dickens on News Talk ZB there. It's a crisis for households and businesses who live on narrow margins, but just a bit inconvenient for others who are much better off. And as if to make that point, this advert crashed in immediately after Andrew Dickens' impassioned comment. Say, I need petrol, and it will navigate a route to the nearest petrol station. You can even plan your trip in advance
2: and send it to your vehicle. Because nothing should take away the pleasure of driving a Porsche. Porsche New Zealand. Faster to the future.
1: Fast-rising petrol prices are probably not much of an issue for potential purchasers of brand-new Porsches right now. Now, having highlighted politicians' blind spot for the plight of people with no spare cash for the basics, let alone luxuries, Andrew Dickens was back with this on Thursday. News Talk ZB. Yeah, move over petrol prices.
2: Now we've got a new problem in town. Takeaway coffee prices look set to rise uh, thanks to a high cost of living. Freight prices through the roof and a poor season of coffee beans. Uh, joining us now is Chris White from the Altura Coffee Company. Hello, Chris. And having run through all this, he left his listeners with this thought. News Talk ZB. We have a text claiming that
1: uh, the Ponsonby Road has $6 coffees right now. So Ponsbury. And Andrew Dickens wasn't alone. On RNZ's morning report that day, co-host Guyan Espiner headlined the hike in the cost of fancy coffee like this.
0: Let's look at something genuinely important now, the cost of coffee. It's gone through the roof and is being described as insane by a Wellington roastery and cafe business.
1: And on Morning Report that day, the cost of Metropolitan Treat Coffee in cafes was fully canvassed, with media-friendly Ponsonby in Auckland getting a mention as well.
2: Obviously it's a lot cheaper than that in downtown Wellington and Auckland, the cities where there is a lot of competition, but this someone saying coffee at Tui Tui Bistro at the museum is $8.00. I mean that seems pretty extraordinary, but then... <laughs> it is. We've got a few. We've got a few coming in from around the country. It's like a weather place now, isn't it? Like where's the where's the hottest coffee? Um, Ponsonby
1: Road, oh, thirty for a standard flat white. <laughs> Ponsonby Road is actually probably not too bad. And the question of what we pay for fancy coffee was an issue right through the day on RNZ National.
0: Joe Stoddart from Havana Coffee says the average coffee drinker will spend between eighteen hundred and two thousand two hundred dollars on cafe coffees. Each year.
1: Now our Kiwi coffee drinkers really, on average, buying what would amount to around four hundred or more coffees in cafes each year? Seems unlikely when StatsNZ's household expenditure survey, as recently as twenty nineteen, reckoned households were spending, on average, just four dollars a week on tea, coffee and other hot drinks. Now either way, news hub's report that same day said that cafe coffee would be going up in small increments in coming months. And they told their viewers this.
0: So maybe start putting away a few extra cents, but not dollars just yet.
1: The assumption there being that their viewers really could, and should, be able to afford treat coffee regularly. A bit alienating for the families that ZB's Andrew Dickens was talking about earlier, who really are experiencing a cost-of-living crisis right now. It's not just the politicians, perhaps, who have a bit of a blind spot about that reality. Now, Andrew Dickens was far from alone in badgering the government this week to call it a cost of living crisis. But Jacinda Ardern's former chief of staff, the left leaning pundit and lobbyist Neil Jones, told Andrew Dickens on News Talk ZB the Prime Minister had her own political reasons for wanting to give that word a swerve for so long.
2: She fell into a trap in not wanting to call it a crisis. I think she thought if she did that, she was playing Christopher Luxon's game. The risk she put herself in though is you start to look out of touch if you say that there's not a crisis when everyone thinks
1: there is. But while the media wanted the government to acknowledge that this was much more than just an energy crisis, the price of petrol was driving the media much more than any other part of this perfect economic storm earlier this week.
0: It's a new dawn at the petrol pump. Prices should now be back to what they were three or four weeks ago. The government's temporarily pulled 25 cents a litre off its fuel excise duty and told the petrol companies to pass it on.
1: Easing the pain at the pump there bumped increased pain in Ukraine down the programme when Marnie Dunlop introduced Morning Report on Tuesday. But later on Morning Report, RNZ's Hamish Cardwell reported no rush at the capital's petrol stations.
4: In a week, two weeks, it's going to be back up to where it was yesterday. So we're not
3: seeing a rush to the petrol pump this morning, Hamish and Wellington? Hardly, no, hardly at all.
4: It's a pretty kind of crappy day and I think people are just kind of getting on with their lives, yeah.
1: So not so much a new dawn then. In other words, same old, same old at a lower price for now. And even before the government's intervention on Monday, petrol panic was leading TVNZ's One News last weekend.
2: Kia ora. good evening. Looming petrol price hikes have sparked panic buying at the pump and left some stations without any fuel. Right now, Waitomo stations are raising their prices in the single biggest jump the company's ever implemented. Katie Stevenson is at Waitomo in
1: Christchurch's central city and joins us now. Tell us what's happening there now, Katie. TBNZ's Katie Stevenson said huge queues in Christchurch were also forming elsewhere because of news of an imminent hike, which triggered that petrol price FOMO, fear of missing out, among twitchy drivers as well as a bit of, let's call it Ford, fear of running dry.
4: Got a
5: quarter tank left and I wasn't going to, but then I saw the news and then saw someone shared on Facebook
2: that 95 was going for $2.70 a litre. Probably a little bit more thinking, do I need to drive a car? It just happened to be right on empty, so uh, I didn't expect to wait so long there to
1: fill. Another part of the government response was that public transport users would be no fools from the 1st of April. They'd be saving half on their fares. And this guy told Morning Report, you can catch more than just a bus if you're a conversationalist.
0: I mean, look, anything can happen on a bus as well, you know. If you're a a single man or woman, you you might find the love of your life on your bus. You might just enjoy not having to think and drive for once, you know. Get your head down, read a book, you know, do whatever you want, like... Talk to people on the bus. What happened to talking to people on the bus? <laughs> I love it, you
1: know. And coincidentally, Morning Report's bird of the day on Tuesday was the wandering Tatler. The wandering Tatler. Although the public transport policy was overshadowed by the media's focus on the petrol prices, it did spark some debate. Auckland mayoral candidate FSO Collins, for example, who's campaigning for free public transport in the city, told Morning Report this on Tuesday.
0: Your reporter Hamish just said that people are getting on with their lives and what we've often found is people do that. People are making adjustments now so that they can get on with their lives. So I think it's important that this isn't just a crisis for today. This is a pinch that people have been feeling around fuel, soaring costs in food and housing that they've been feeling a long time before COVID.
1: And later, his rival candidate Viv Beck said that scrapping regional petrol taxes and speeding up existing transport projects should be the priority.
3: We've got a tax that is not reducing congestion, and we've got people who can't access public transport because they they have to drive. There's a high dependence on vehicles in Auckland.
1: And in the same programme, her PWC tax partner, Sandy Lau, said that this showed it was actually surprisingly easy for the government to make what she called a -a once-in-a-generation intervention. And the sorts of moves that were reckoned to be too radical or even a bit weird outside of a crisis were fleetingly discussed this week in the media. One of the most vocal exponents of car culture in the media is Mike Hosking, who reckons that advocates for public transport and cycling have been wasting their time. Back in 2018, for example, he told his listeners this. The public transport lobby preached the myth that bike lanes and bus lanes and less and less bitumen
2: for cars is the answer to getting to work in the morning.
1: Kiwis love their cars. Mike Hosking said back then on Newstalk ZB, and he's told his listeners that many times since, like it or not, nothing will change that. But there was one thing he said that might.
2: I mean if petrol goes to three bucks a litre it'll probably change but until then we love our cars, we have more cars per head of population than most places in the world and that isn't changing.
1: And four years on petrol did get to three bucks this past week and it'll be back there soon. So maybe it really is a new dawn, as Morning Report reckoned last Tuesday, after all. Last weekend here on MediaWatch, the entire programme was taken up with just one issue, confirmation that a new public media entity will replace TVNZ and RNZ. It's a once-in-a-generation reboot to make public media fit for the future, so it's backers, but exactly how it's going to work and be paid for and what it will offer the public remain unclear. Now, if you missed all that, you'll find it on our page of the RNZ website or the RNZ app or in our podcast feed, and you'll also find Midweek Media Watch from last Wednesday in which I also took a look at some more of the reaction and analysis that's been in the media since then, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show. And also, we looked at how TVNZ spent 25 minutes talking to one politician who was a key go-between in this process, former New Zealand First MP Tracy Martin. But weirdly, TVNZ didn't ask her anything about the broadcasting plan, though they did ask her about her romance novels and screenplays.
5: If I turn it into a straight-to-Netflix or Apple TV or Dis- Discovery or Disney or whatever, mm. then I don't have to write all the, as much dialogue and I don't have to know all of the 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 little nitty-gritty about different cultural events.
1: Well, some nitty-gritty about that media plan she had eyes on when the rest of the public didn't would have been nice. Now, one of the stated tasks of the new public media entity is to reach more of the audiences currently underserved, and a big one of those is younger people. Two years ago, RNZ unveiled a plan for a new youth network, but that hit a huge roadblock because RNZ concert was collateral damage in that plan, which got reversed. Last week, RNZ's chief executive Paul Thompson told me that the new public media entity would be a failure if it didn't attract the younger audience. But when it comes to news and current affairs, that's easier said than done. Younger people have been turning away from traditional news media outlets and bulletins over the years and getting more of their news instead via social media and messaging apps, where it's smashed together with all sorts of non-news content that's also vying for their attention but some news outlets are now using the channels they use to engage them.
0: Afghanistan has fallen to the Taliban. This is huge international news, so here's a crash course with all the basics that you need to know. The Taliban is an ultra-fundamentalist Islamist militant group that controlled most of Afghanistan during the 90s.
1: That was The Guardian journalist Matilda Bosley in a rapid-fire TikTok video explaining the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan last year. Now, as she explained, they first rolled into the capital 25 years earlier, but for a whole generation of younger people, that wouldn't be a vivid memory at all. Back then, readers of what was then a 200-year-old English newspaper might have been startled to know that its Australian newsroom was using a Chinese-owned app to explain a top world news story of the day in just two minutes.
0: 20 years of war, more than 172,000 people killed, a trillion dollars spent, and it all came undone in a matter of days.
1: But The Guardian certainly didn't waste its time with that video. It's been watched nearly 5 million times, and presumably not by those who read The Guardian's newspaper. However, most news stories require a bit more than a two-minute clip on TikTok to explain in detail, and this is where podcasts come in handy. A recent annual survey in the US by research group Edison found that biggest increase was amongst the youngest listeners they surveyed. Spoken word listening more than doubled, they said, among those aged 13 to 24 over a seven-year period, and according to Edison, they were also spending twice as much time on podcasts than on radio. In their conclusion... The next generation of spoken word listeners is listening on demand from their smartphones and it's going to be hard for radio to defy that trend. Well, two journalists who are working with that trend to bring news about the news to younger Kiwi listeners are New Zealand Herald Wellington reporter Katie Harris and former News Hub reporter Rosie Gordon, who more recently was the producer of Newstalk ZB's show Wellington Mornings. Together, they created the podcast In The Loop six months ago to look at the headlines each week that matter to younger New Zealanders.
5: Oh, nah, I missed it. In Case You Missed It. This is In Case You Missed It, the part
3: of the show where we give you a rundown of the top news this week. Rosie, what is the first story? The occupation at Parliament is finally over, Katie, and it went out in a real flurry (laughs) of action yesterday. It's being called one of the most significant events in our recent history...
1: Often, Rosie and Katie do this with journalists who are working on those big stories, such as News Hub's Lisette Raymer reporting from Ukraine's war.
0: Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who are crossing this border into any of the neighbouring countries they can get to, really. They are not being picky, they're not being choosy, they just want to get to safety.
1: That same edition of In The Loop also tackled the rise in the official cash rate and the latest worrying IPCC report on climate change and that ongoing upheaval at the occupation of Parliament. And in a section called Looping You In, they reported on the story of a teenager at a Dunedin high school who was abused and had her hijab ripped off her, sparking a campaign which went global and even got superstar celebrity backing, thanks to a trainee teacher from Hamilton.
3: Since then, it's gone all around the world and has even been shared by the likes of supermodel Bella Hadid. We interviewed Petra Khan, who's one of the women behind that campaign, we started by asking her what her reaction was when she first heard Huda's story. I was horrified
0: because I just could not accept the fact that this happened in a school environment.
1: Now these are all good yarns, but how do you put together a podcast all about the news for an audience that doesn't tend to seek it out?
5: There's so many great podcasts out there, but none of them are really like targeting people in New Zealand that are my age and speaking to people people that are interested in the news but don't necessarily know all the nuts and bolts of every single historic issue and so we've got all of this news content like the Herald and places like Stuff and News Hub produced so much content and so much
3: valuable stuff but it's not really translated into a way that a lot of young people want to consume. Sort of to Katie's point, it seems as though there are a lot of young people that I know who are politically engaged, they're interested in what is going on in the news, but they perhaps only access their news on Instagram and Facebook. For those people who get to the end of the week and go, I don't know what's sort of happening in the world, there's a way for them to access that information in a way that is, yeah, like Katie said, palatable for them. The podcast is really sort of a conversation between two colleagues that are interested in in news and working in the news world about what's happening in the news. And I think not talking down to them, having a conversation with young people instead, things that perhaps might not get heaps of mainstream coverage um, is a really important way that we sort of do that and structure it as well. But Katie, I think you had something to add.
5: Yeah, and I think a lot of what people say, MSMs or mainstream media companies, cop flack From people online sometimes because people say, oh, the mainstream media aren't covering this or no one is highlighting this one issue. But much of the time it is being covered and there has been stories on it, but they're just not presented in a way that young people can see or they're not on the platforms that young people are normally on.
1: Research in the States is really interesting looking at people between 13 and 25 or 13 to 30 and finding big uptakes of people listening to podcasts and yet perhaps not other forms of news Do you think that's going on among that similar kind of age group here in New Zealand?
5: Podcasting is now becoming sort of the primary way where a lot of us will learn about global events and learn about things that are currently happening. I know that personally I probably listen to about three different podcasts a day. You know, they might not be driving to work as much as they used to be. A lot of young people commute via public transport or walking. And so instead of having that radio knob just there to turn, they're just clicking into their phone and going onto their podcasting app a lot of young people also multitask, we know, and, and do other things while they're engaging with the news. So I can see this as a really big area for news companies because, one, we know that people can access it anytime. It's not just on the, on the air and then it's gone. But also, we
3: can capture a big range of people that historically haven't been well served the New Zealand On Air where our audiences report last year found that more 15 to 29 year olds are listening to podcasts I think sort of sort of to Katie's point too we've seen young people's use of or consumption of TV and traditional radio decline um, and I think it is because it's just sort of easier for them to access media on their terms.
5: I also find and this might be me just speaking on a personal level but The news selection on normal news broadcasts, for example, the traditional Mm. six o'clock news or breakfast shows, I find is a bit boring for me. I'm not super, super young, but if I'm churning out and feeling like, okay, this is a bit slow or there's just a lot of really fluff pieces Mm. that don't really cut to the core of the issue. And we know young people do want to know what the issues are. Even us just sort of being the news directors of the podcast
3: helps us pull content out that will engage younger listeners. And a really interesting part of that a part of that has been international news. You know, I notice yeah. a lot of mainstream New Zealand media sort of make this assumption that local news is sort of at the forefront of what we care about but actually young people are really interested in what's happening overseas they're interested in UK politics they're interested in the invasion of Ukraine so many
5: people have contacted us like strangers have thanked us for speaking about the Ukraine and explaining it in like ways that are really simple because a lot of young people weren't alive 30 years ago Mm. when things were really going down and so just like a simple little bit of context can help someone understand all these new stories that are coming out now
1: we take another podcast that's really cut through a local one shit you should care about. I mean, it's a bit of a phenomenon, but I mean, I mean, sometimes it is about actual topical issues, you know, which crosses over with news. A lot of the time, it, it kind of isn't, and you do a bit of that too in, in the loop, don't you? We, you know, you reference things that are not necessarily strictly speaking hard hitting news content, but that are getting shared and talked about on other platforms, you know, like Instagram and, and ones that younger people do use a lot.
5: We have a specific segment at the end of our podcast where we kind of have a space for that called trending. As long as there's time, sometimes we do end up cutting it out. We pop in a story or some news items that are filling up news feeds. So, like, it's this chat that's going on all online. A lot of people are engaging with it.
3: Yeah, it's things like, you know, the Free Britney movement and things that are sort of more entertainment, pop culture stories. I think it's also a way of kind of pulling in some light and shade um, because the other thing about the news is that it can all be quite doom and gloom and part of making news accessible for young people is is ensuring that there is a little bit of a mix of content.
1: You did a, a Looping You In feature on Huda's story, the incident where a teenage high school student in Dunedin had a hijab ripped off and it led to a campaign. If we didn't have, you know, covid going on and protests in a Parliament were big at the time as well, kind of overshadowed it. Is that an example of something you think young people really would engage with, but but it just wasn't elevated by mainstream news outlets?
3: Yeah, I think mainstream media are covering these topics and these and these stories like the justice for huda story um, you know we saw that on the Otago Daily Times and on the Herald but they're not necessarily i think you used the phrase elevated being put in places where young people might access those stories that justice for huda story i mean it just touched both of our hearts I think it felt natural that we would do a closer look at that story because it was just so shocking Um, and it got attention overseas Um, supermodel Bella Hadid shared a a post about it so I think we both sort of instinctively felt that it's something our audience would be interested in.
5: It's also like to do with people in high school which Mm. is exactly the type of people that we hope will be listening to the podcast and will want to know more about it and Yes, I did see it on places like The Herald, and I did see it high on the website. But, you know, often these stories only last high on websites for a matter of hours or even, say, a 6 o'clock news bulletin. It might get a couple minutes. But it's great on the podcast because we can really dedicate, you know, 10, 15 minutes to unpacking, looking into, and trying to get some more voices in there on what's happened.
1: Do you think that, you know, younger adults perhaps, uh, they seem to get very little from our public media and our mainstream outlets. Do you think that's something that needs to be looked at?
5: I think so. I feel like there's a myth, um, quite a pervasive myth, that people, you know, that are you know 18 to 30, whatever, aren't that interested in hard news or aren't that into finding out about what's going on or having longer investigations, which I just think is totally false because we know, like, we can see there is an appetite for it, but it's just more like I think we're failing to meet people where they are or make things in a more palatable way. And I feel like in the future it should definitely be
3: something that funding organisations should be looking at. And I also think that there is um, sort of an assumption that young people are already being catered for by the likes of music radio. And music radio plays a really important part in touching on some of the things that young people care about, that they might be talking about. They might do it in sort of an entertainment way and perhaps a music break. So that's, you're getting a short bite of something without really unpacking it. I actually think there's a whole big market of people that might be, you know,
5: willing consumers. It would be a great market, but people just assume young people music station when actually we know young people who are interested in current affairs. They just want it in a different way than previous ways that we've served markets.
1: And finally, um, I think earlier, Katie, you mentioned that getting the tone right was a tricky thing. Most of the time, you know, journalists are encouraged, uh, discouraged rather, from expressing how they feel about a story. Do you feel a little bit awkward about doing that or or does it feel a bit liberating and perhaps that when you're doing something for a younger audience, they might actually expect you to be expressing a little bit about how a story makes you feel as well?
5: At first, it was a little bit difficult, obviously going from... Straight news, you're supposed to just deliver the facts straight away. Um, and obviously, there are of that you have to be really careful. Like, if it was something I was directly reporting on, it wouldn't really be appropriate for me to say, Well, I think this, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, I feel like the commentary afterwards helps unpack the situation more and can help people understand it. And so sometimes we will, you know, highlight different people's viewpoints that we might not necessarily agree with, but it's valid to include. And so Yes, we are perhaps being a bit more opinionated than we normally are in our roles as like a journalist and a producer. But I think it's really valuable for the podcast and for our listeners to understand the key issues in a lot of these
3: stories. I sort of feel it's important to give some of our thoughts and maybe our critical thinking on a on an issue because I think it encourages the audience to think about what their opinion is and, and engage in the content in a slightly different way as well and think, oh, do I agree with them? Maybe I don't. Um, all of that stuff is hopefully helping our audience start to build up opinion. And last week I said I felt sad about the, um, the story that you did, Katie, on the child pornography. Oh, yeah. Obviously that story makes me feel really sad. By saying that, I think it's it's a nice way to sort of humanise Um, news and journalism as well instead of it just being kind of cut and dry here's the information yeah because news people are are people as well we saw like Mm. I don't
5: know if you saw the video of Samantha Hayes responding to Lissette Raymer's story the other night and like we're not robots that can just speak about really dark and sad stories without having an emotional response so I think it is powerful to be able to have that space to say how we feel if a story's affected us
1: that was New Zealand Herald reporter Katie Harris and Rosie Gordon, who was recently producer at News Talk ZB and just this week started as a producer here at RNZ, coincidentally. And they were talking to me there about news for younger New Zealanders and their podcast, In The Loop, available on NZME's platform iHeartRadio and also available on all other major podcast platforms too. And while we are on the subject of the rising appeal of podcasts, this week the country's biggest publisher of newspapers and online news, Stuff, announced it's setting up a new unit to build on its successes in the field so far, like Black Hands and the Cold Case co-production with RNZ, Gone Fishing. And another source of new podcasts is a brand new talk radio network from MediaWorks, Today FM. Now that launches on the air tomorrow, and we'll take a good look at that next week here on MediaWatch. But in the meantime, the website of Today FM went live this week in advance of the big switch on first thing on Monday morning. Hayden Donnell took a look at that for clues about the approach of this new kid on the highly competitive and closely contested block that is New Zealand's commercial talk radio market, currently dominated by another long-established network with long-serving hosts, serving up a fairly familiar and heavy diet of conservative and contrary opinion. Do you want the borders open? Simple question, the answer, 75%
2: say yes. Why? Because COVID's over. Over in the sense we've uh, done all we can do. We're jabbed, we're boosted, we have hundreds of thousands of active cases and a comparative handful in hospital. We're getting on with our lives and it's become transparently obvious that the government's view on COVID has fundamentally not changed since Alpha and Delta. They're still peddling the fear, they're still rolling out the old just-in-case.
4: That's News Talk ZB's Mike Hosking delivering a surprise pandemic pronouncement on Tuesday morning. His statement would have been news to the two people who died of COVID and the nearly 22,000 more who were diagnosed with the virus that day. But these kinds of provocative expulsions are something of a trademark for News Talk ZB. It's ridden a wave of often controversial opinion to the top of the talk radio ratings. Starting tomorrow, though, it's facing a new challenge to that market dominance as MediaWorks officially launches its new talk radio brand, Today FM. <laughs> Today FM.
3: News that moves us forward.
4: Today has assembled a roster of known names, including Tover O'Brien, Duncan Garner, Leah Panapa, Mark Richardson, and Polly Gillespie, in a bid to assail its established rival's entrenched position at number one in Talk Radio. It's tempting to assume these hosts will be tasked with beating news talk at its own game, putting forth their own competing blizzard of contentious takes. A look at the station's website, which went up on Monday this week ahead of its official launch, suggests a slightly different strategy. Instead of bile on COVID or cycleways, its opinion section is mostly filled with diary entries from the station's presenters on what they've been thinking or doing lately. Afternoon's host Lloyd Burr has written an ode to growing silver beets, spring onions and basil on his apartment balcony. Here's a paragraph. I made
0: pesto with the basil, which was just outstanding, and I've made soup loaded with silverbeet and spring onions and some herbs from the garden too. Not the greatest soup I've ever made, but it was awesome because I grew it.
4: Burr isn't alone in writing about mundanities or minor passions. A languid scroll from his paeon to home gardening is Rachel Smalley's first-person essay on deciding to buy a new car. It begins like this.
0: I bought a few things online during lockdown, all of them practical. Trolleys of groceries, a garden shovel, plants, compost and a Tesla.
4: Smalley says the Tesla purchase came out of a need to take back control of her life amid the impositions of the pandemic. Out of touch? Maybe. Privileged? Probably. Offensive? Not really. Not to be outdone, Knight's host Polly Gillespie has delivered three opinion pieces on one day. In order, she lists the hip spots in Wellington she's scared to visit, muses on why veterinarians don't get paid more, and confesses to struggling to understand people in the age of masks. The station's breakfast host, Tova O'Brien, has just been released from a restraint of trade enforced by her old employer Discovery. That drama features in the first episode of Today FM's news podcast, The Core, in which O'Brien tearfully talks about the impact the restraint of trade had on her, and includes the moment she called her lawyer and was told the news that she had lost her legal challenge against it.
3: Uh, I'm nervous. You don't sound good. Your voice, no. I can tell your tone. Oh, no. So basically, they've found that uh, the restraint has been modified
0: to be uh, expiring on the 14th of March. OK. So they haven't completely won, but it's not great.
4: Oh, I'm gutted. In the website's opinion section, though, O'Brien talks about escaping the clutches of a different type of prison, nicotine addiction.
0: Her piece begins beguilingly. You are a courageous alpha she-wolf. If your wolf pack senses fear or anxiety, then the junior wolf will attack. Stay strong. It wasn't nicotine patches, cold turkey, or a big night out putting you off ciggies forever. It was a mythical she-wolf that knocked my nicotine habit.
4: O'Brien goes on to extol the benefits of hypnotherapy. Meanwhile, newsreader Wilhelmina Shrimpton starts her opinion piece like this
0: I saw a tweet the other day, and I don't do this often, but I was compelled to reshare it.
4: Shrimpton's piece is devoted to denouncing sexist social attitudes which have led people to believe women can't be fashionable and professional at the same time. The website isn't all personal reflections and social commentary, though. There's still Mark Richardson calling COVID a nasty head cold that kills a few of the vulnerable, or Duncan Garner accusing us of being a nation of fatties in his argument for compulsory PE. But there's a noticeable lack of venom from much of the Today roster. Maybe that's part of the station's soft launch, a getting-to-know-you period of sorts. Maybe they're just short of things to say. Or it could be a strategy. Today's architect, Dallas Gurney, recently gave an interview to media industry website Stop Press, where he hinted at another reason for the more mellow tone. In it, he warns of the dangers of talkback hosts using engagement, the raw volume of calls, texts and other reactions they get, as a measure of success. He says...
0: All it does is lead a host to talk about topics they know are going to hit an emotional hot button. Unfortunately, that can be quite unhelpful, and Talkback has a bad name because of it. We want to restore some credibility.
4: It could be wishful thinking to believe today's hosts will take that to heart. The temporary ceasefire on controversy will likely end next week when the station fully launches into the cut and thrust of weekly political debate. But in the meantime, it's nice to see an opinion section in its infancy, almost uncorrupted by cranky takes and contrarianism, where instead of making your blood boil, the main aim appears to be making your basil grow. Hayden Dinell there, taking a look at the website of the new
1: talk radio network from MediaWorks, Today FM, which launches tomorrow morning nationwide. It's also a big day for rival broadcaster Discovery, the owner of the TV channels which it bought from MediaWorks last year. It's launching two new free-to-air TV channels, an outdoor adventure and adrenaline-soaked one called Rush, and a lifestyle one called Eden, which will also air a new News Hub news bulletin at 8pm each night. We'll also take a good look at all this here on MediaWatch next weekend. But for now, though, that's all we have for you in MediaWatch this weekend. We'll be back with more on the media with Midweek Media Watch at about 10.30 next Wednesday night, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next Sunday here on RNZ National.